Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We want to hear from you, get your feedback. And of course, read us over at Indy Cornrows. Uh, Caitlin always has some fantastic stuff coming out. If you haven't already, uh, we did our two questions to uh, on uh, on Tuesday, and we also revealed our top five favorite foods, for which I got plenty of heat. As always, my food takes uh, seem to generate a lot more clicks than I, I intend for. Um, you know, it's not my fault that I'm a little bit weird. I think Granny Smith apples are pretty great. Uh, but a lot of people didn't didn't believe in that. Uh, I'm psyched to be joined today by one of my favorite people to, to just talk with in general and also talk who's with is uh, David Ramil from over at Lockdown Heat to preview tomorrow's game with the Heat. David, how are you doing today, man? Uh, better than your food takes. Asparagus? <laughs> yeah. Okay, asparagus is, is great. Are We're really going to get asparagus heat to start the pod? I mean, I don't know about that. Uh, top five foods? Like... I mean, to me, it's always the whole rationale of like if you're in a you know on a desert island or something like that, and you you only have five foods, it sure as hell isn't going to be asparagus. I mean, Granny Smith apples maybe you can make a case for just for the nutritional value, but asparagus, like, no thanks. If for nothing else, just the impact it has on you biologically, that's, if you know what I'm saying. Like, that is a very like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to deal with that on a regular basis. Sorry, man. I just I can't wrap my mind around that. Asparagus is fine. But no, it's not a top five food. Okay, well, if you're if you're stuck on an island, what is your one food then? Oh hell, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't really give it much thought. Uh, I mean, probably pizza, just because that's so that's such a cop out. Vague. It, well, it's vague enough where you can just like you know top it with anything, and it's like, oh, it's got it's a bread layer, which I love. Give me carbs. You got cheese, a sauce, and some kind of topping of any kind. I mean, yeah. Pizza's great. I mean, why is that a cop out? Better See, than because you can put any variety pizza. of pizza. Well, yeah. okay, all right. So just like specifically a cheese yeah. pizza, or maybe I guess I don't know. Uh, eggplant pizza, I suppose. Eggplant pizza. All right, we got oh, some bougie I love stuff eggplant. coming out of, uh, of Miami. I do like my. I, I do like eggplant pizza too. I mean, not pizza. I've never had eggplant pizza, but I like eggplant. Like, um, what is it called? I think it's uh, moussaka. My dad yeah. went to Greece when yeah. I was uh, when I was in middle school, and so when he came back, he showed us all these like greek recipes and moussaka is really good for people who haven't tried it you probably aren't going to find it anywhere unless you have a like a home style greek restaurant by you but uh fantastic stuff i don't really know how to explain it to people but it's good it, yeah it's kind of like a i yeah off the top of my head i can't really like i always think of it as kind of like layers with interwoven with eggplant and different like sauces maybe i think it, it does include like a ground meat in there as well yeah i think so mistaken. i can't remember it's it's been forever since i've had it but recommend it yeah. to anybody uh well we're here to talk about basketball and i have so many questions that i want to ask you about the heat because i've been uh keeping tabs on them the last couple of weeks and as you know i uh big fan of a certain player who plays for the heat that we will talk about uh probably more in depth than than you care to um but i'm gonna make it happen <laughs> i've been badgering you about him for a while um the first thing that I want to talk about, though, I mean, uh, we can I have my own thoughts on it, but I want to ask you about it as well, too. Um, the biggest thing for the Heat 
over the last uh, couple weeks and, and couple months, I should say, gosh, time has no meaning anymore. Uh, the defense has been fantastic. I think the best defense since I, I want to say February 1st, if I remember correctly, I was doing my stats dives this morning. I know they have the best defense in March. Um, they've just really been fantastic on that end after kind of struggling out the gates. Um, what has really stood out to you on the defensive end that has led to this, this adjustment? Because the offense, which we'll talk about later too, is, is not necessarily improved that much. The uh, single biggest factor, uh, not surprising, the return of Jimmy Butler. Yep. Uh, like that is, that's a big part of it. It just seems like he kind of forced the team to revert back to the same identity they had last year where they were mixing things up. Like they were trapping ball handlers. They were rotating well on defense in a way that they hadn't been before without Jimmy there. You had this weird, they were fielding all these weird lineups with either Goran Dragic or Tyler Hero in the starting lineup. And it just, those are two subpar defenders. They don't rotate as well and you're being exposed on the perimeter. And so you, you just, just not much you can do defensively then all of a sudden you have jimmy who makes up for a multitude of your mistakes and weaknesses and he compensates for so much of what those players don't do on the defensive end and he just helps immeasurably so if anything like i know we're kind of on this train of pushing him to be a mvp type candidate but he might legitimately be a defensive player of the year candidate if for no other reason than because miami's defense has been as good as it has and he's been the single biggest factor of that so I feel like the 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 roster as it's currently comprised is fine. Again, you have Kendrick Nunn, you've got Goron, you've got Tyler Hero, you've got Duncan Robinson, who's been better. Even Kelly Olynyk's numbers reflect that he's probably pretty good in the defensive end. Not great individual defensive players, but team-wide, they play really, really good defense. They know exactly how to rotate. They move well. They always seem to kind of just force players to take bad shots, especially in the perimeter they've been holding. They've been keeping players away from the rim too, which is very odd considering the fact that they don't have a legitimate rim protector either. So there's a lot different factors in there, but again, primarily it's Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's where you have to start. I mean, um, in watching him the last couple of games, especially against the Cavs, um, which, I mean, it's not, you have to take it with a grain of salt because the Cavs uh, offense is archaic and, and just not good given their personnel. Um, but I mean, there were just plays where Jimmy's just all over the place. Um, and I mean, it's every game, but it, it really stuck out for me in that game. Also because I, I thoroughly enjoy the yellow Miami uniforms as much as I know some people don't. Um, they just I give love me them. so many, they, they give me like, it's something different and it's not, uh, not like the, um, the paint splattered tie-dye crap that are this year's vice jerseys. Um, okay, I don't like those either. But the, yeah. the biggest argument I've heard, and it's one that my wife put perfectly for me, which is, oh, I like them. They're just not heat colors. And that sums it up kind of perfectly. It's, yeah. uh, to me, I didn't think about it that way. I was just like looking at it from an outsider's perspective or just you know, kind of far removed and saying, oh, I, I like those colors. They look great. And then from somebody like her who's not a fan of basketball, she's like, oh, they look fine. But that's just not the Miami Heat, so it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's it's different though. And you know what? I, I like it. It's better than the than the Utah yellow jerseys. So or like yellow green. It's like neon. They're terrible. Um, but Jimmy is just. I mean, he does have a legitimate case for defensive player of the year. And I think the amount of games played will probably be used as a knock on him, uh, depending on you know how long he's. I mean, how long he's healthy for the rest of the year. But regardless, I mean, just watching yesterday, I mean, there was a lineup out there where it was him. Goron, uh, I think Tyler Hero was out there as well with Kelly Olynyk at the five. Um, like they're routinely running lineups with 
very few guys who are even close to neutral defenders and then Jimmy and the lineup is still so good because he can set up the, the table for you at the point of attack, shut anything down there. And he's so good at being able to get everyone out in rotation and scrambling. Well, like his communication is ridiculous. And um, I think that's something that we've seen is, is so important has been more emphasized and uh, people are getting a better idea of understanding. It's not necessarily, you know, individual defense that is the most important when it comes to team basketball. It's if you can get everyone on a string and moving together, if you're at least, in the right place that means a hell of a lot more so just having jimmy back and being able to do that has been i mean fantastic oh yeah no undoubtedly and look uh, they missed bam at occasion he missed uh, four games prior to this uh they've been missing avery bradley for almost all the season and of course now they're welcoming in trevor reza who i'm sure we'll talk about shortly so their defense is only going to continue to get better and that's that's even scarier i think for most opponents uh, their offense however continues to be a work in progress so but as, as far as the defensive end is concerned, uh, I like how this team is being shaped up. I, I think that they're going to be able to shut down opponents pretty regularly. And I think that's the goal in mind. They're building this roster with the vision of taking on a team like Brooklyn or Philadelphia late, if they go on a deep playoff run. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Um, so first thing that I want to talk about off that, what have you thought of Kendrick Nunn over the last couple of games? Obviously, uh, I do want to point out as well, too, I get uh, we and we've talked about this privately. I, I do get kind of sick of when people are like, oh, well, trying to make an under un, underdog story. I don't want to continually hang things over Kendrick's head. But the fact of the matter is we know why he did not get to uh, get drafted and why he didn't come into the NBA with some grand entrance like I think some people expected. Um, but it's nice to see him playing well now. Um, it's still difficult to talk about in some regards, I guess. I, I, I don't know. You, you're better at it than I am. Um, but what have you, what have you thought about his play recently? Cause he's been a lot better than he was to start the year. I, I will just say that, and given that his problems, uh, prior to his, well, even before he was, uh, dra not drafted, but you know, in, in college, he, you know, he was forced to kicked off the Illinois men's basketball team and, and wound up going to another smaller school. And, you know, we all know about his legal issues, but I will say to his credit, uh, that he has been a, a fairly model citizen. Like he is. Pretty quiet, pretty reserved. Uh, he has not caused any issues either with the Santa Cruz Warriors or in his two seasons in Miami. So perhaps I've seen some conflicting reports that maybe maybe he's being portrayed a lot worse than he the situation actually called for. And it's just it's a sticky situation. It's very difficult to break yeah. down. And you, you don't feel like you, I don't feel qualified to necessarily pass judgment on a player because I don't know what that situation was. But if if he was convicted and if he did commit the, the crimes that he was charged with, that changes the conversation considerably. Let's just separate that aspect of it when we're analyzing his encore play. And as far as that's concerned, well, he's been up and down. You know, he had a couple of weeks there where he was phenomenal. Then the all-star break showed up and he just wound up losing whatever mojo he had. His shot just hasn't been falling. Um, you know, there was a string there of games where it seemed like, he was turning a corner as a player in a way that he had not even last year when he was placing second in the rookie of the year voting. Like he, he was slowing down the pace of the game. He was looking for the play to develop. He wasn't just forcing shots the way he has for his whole NBA career. He was making the right pass and his assist numbers were phenomenal. And then all of a sudden that just dropped off the earth. Like I, I have no idea what to make of it. There's not, not been a single injury issue 
I don't think it's maybe it's the tandem with him and Bam and Abayo since Bam missed those games. And maybe as Bam's kind of working himself back in the rotation, it's just been a little bit more difficult for Kendrick to find that same groove. He was playing so well offensively, even defensively. He's not Mm -hmm. a great defender. He has the skill set. He's got the length and he's got the the quickness to break up passing lanes and things of that sort. But, you know, he was just making plays on the defensive end, contributing to that great team defense. And that's not been there over the last couple of games since the All-Star break. So I I don't know what to make of Kendrick, which is why so many Heat fans want to make a change in the backcourt, because between Goron, who's beloved by fans, Tyler and his production and, of course, his potential – you know, you've got Duncan Robinson and his shooting, so at least he has a skill that you can adhere to. With Kendrick, you don't know what you're getting other than inconsistent play. Uh, you know, the potential for him to be great and then for him to be, you know, non-existent on the floor. On the on the floor, so it's it's kind of hard to assess what to make of Kendrick Nunn because we just you know, his numbers are so varying from game to game, and if that's the case. I'm not sure whether or not you make a move to bolster your backcourt. If you trade Kendrick Nunn, look, he is a, a free agent at the end of the season, so you have to consider that as well. Um, you know, that, that's all I got on Kendrick, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it, the shot falls, and then when it does, he's great. And when it doesn't, it's just you wonder why he's even out there. Yeah, that's uh, it kind of it's it's not quite the same situation, but it reminds me a lot of Norman Powell the last couple of years. Obviously, mm. he's been like just lightning in a bottle this year. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if you saw the game last night. He pretty much was the Raptors' offense against Detroit. Um, but yeah, that's it, it's been. But there very was similar. trade. There was trade Norman Powell talk earlier in the season, right? I mean, like. He, oh, I he, mean, there he, still is because I think a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's uh, that he's not going to replicate it. Like, there's no way it sticks." Um, but at the same time, I mean, if they trade him, they're they're hardly in some of these games because of what he's been doing offensively. Yeah. So I mean, that's. It's weird because when you have these players that are inconsistent like that, like you want to build around them to some degree, but you can't count on them either. So, and Miami, Miami just doesn't have the talent where they can have a player drop off like that. Like the, Jimmy changes the the course of the game individually, and that's about it. Because Bam's still not at that level. Like as good as Bam is, he's just not capable of taking over games. And so, you, when you have guys like Olinik or Nunn that are so inconsistent, and even Duncan, when his shot isn't falling, and Goran at 36 years old, like you're you're counting on him to produce. You're counting on Andre Iguodala, who's 37. Like that's a big problem for this team, and why that if there's a glaring weakness to them, it's that they're counting on so many role players to produce at a high level, and that's not fair because it's not dependable, it's not sustainable. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of the same version of the Heat team that we had a couple years ago before they acquired Jimmy Butler, or they were relying on Josh Richardson or Tyler Johnson or Hassan Whiteside to put up double digit points. And if they had a bad night, they would probably lose because they just didn't have a singular talent that was capable of carrying the team. And that's where they are right now, even with Jimmy in and out of the lineup. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, That really stands out. And I think that flows right into something else I wanted to ask you about with Bam. um, It's weird because he's had stretches this year where he looks like he's taking that, that, that turn. And it's always interesting to talk about this stuff because he's, he's, I mean, he's my age, he's 23. He's going to be 24. I think he's he's like just a little bit younger than me, but um, like, it's so weird to, to think about like, I mean, the discourse is, is really interesting because you go from two years ago, he's playing behind Hassan Whiteside. And now uh, people are talking about whether or not he was a quote unquote star player. And I think as a defensive player, for sure. Um, but like he was starting to do a lot more off off the bounce as a mid-range, mid-range shooter. He's already taken more mid-range shots this year than he did all of last year from from long mid, which is kind of crazy to talk about. Um, 
he's starting to, to, to space out and improve that. And it's improved his ability to drive to the rim too. Um, but it hasn't been consistent. Like you're mentioning, um, I can't remember which game it is off the top of my head right now, but he had like that massive points output. I think it was against either the Bucks or Sixers. It was the um, Nets. It was the Nets. I knew it was one of the bigger teams. Uh, I remembered watching it, but I just couldn't remember who it was against. But um, you see that flash of potential and what he can do, but it's still not quite there yet. So what are what are your thoughts on kind of where he's at and the, um, the track that he's been on this season? I mean, he, he's so good at everything else that you just have to – accept that as a quote unquote limitation like even even if he's not putting up 20 plus points per game the reality is he's, he's so impactful offensively defensively that you just i at least have to just accept it that it might never be a part of his game that he might just never be that comfortable unfortunately you do have those moments like he had against the nets where you say to yourself he's capable of so much like he looked so good he offensively he had like 40 something points it was ridiculous and he's like off the bounce shooting threes even like it was just his mid-range game uh you know he's not he doesn't really have much of an offensive repertoire he just mostly has relied on his quick first step and and you know that burst uh for putbacks and things like that but he doesn't have much of a back to the basket game and so when you see those moments you go wow this is he's finally turning around and 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 then it just tapers off. And so it's like, that's where the frustration for Heat fans come is that we know that he's capable of it. And then he just doesn't develop it on a consistent level. And so you wonder what, you know, when somebody else is going to step up and whether or not it's sustainable again to rely so heavily on Jimmy to be your only legitimate closer. Like Tyler Hero might have fit that role last year. This season, that's not the case. He has not played as well offensively. Go on again at 36. He doesn't want to count on him. So you've got Jimmy as your closer, and that's fine. But you kind of need somebody else to step up on occasion, and you don't really have that on this roster. Bam should be that person, and you can't count on him to be that aggressive offensively. You know, He makes plays for everybody else, does so much defensively. But when it comes to looking for his own shot, it just – he just doesn't do it. And so he talks about it. And this is another source of frustration is like his post-game pressers have been almost an echo of the same thing over and over. I know I need to be more aggressive. This is on me. I need to be more aggressive. And everybody shouts back in unison. Well, go ahead and do it. What the hell are you waiting for? And uh, that just hasn't happened consistently. So it's, it's, you know, I, it's hard to, to put all this blame on somebody who, again, who's 23, like you mentioned, and has so much talent and does so much well for Miami, but when you see those moments when you know he's capable of more, it can lead to some frustration. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, I, I think it's obviously a different extent because I think Bam's already surpassed him quite a bit as a player. But that's how it was with Miles Turner for a lot of his his time in Indiana. Like, um, he's really rounded a, a corner now. Like, I think just looking at numbers, you, it wouldn't stand out. But in terms of what he's doing, um, as a quicker decision maker, because that was always a problem with him. Like, he just did not make quick decisions, which ultimately resulted like it's better to have a guy who makes the wrong decision but does it quickly than to have somebody who just waits and doesn't make a decision and then by the time they do make one the defense has already reacted and it's too late but um he's made an improvement there this year and it's been different but it took i mean this is year six for him now so it took him a while to get there and i it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out with bam but regardless like he's just insanely good um so i think in looking at just talking about the offense overall, because there was a a point in time at the beginning of the season, I think I watched it, it was a preseason game against the Bucks, and um, 
I, I remember the Heat played extremely well in that game. And I, I said to myself, and I actually said to a couple of my friends, I was like, yeah, I think the Heat could have like the best offense in the NBA this year. And they are 20th right now over the last uh, last two weeks and, and 22nd overall. Um, I, I think what stands out the most to me has just been the three-point shooting is, is drastically different this year compared to how it was last year. And, and part of that is with Duncan Robinson, which is it's crazy to look at too because he's almost shooting 40% from three. Uh, but just comparatively to what he was doing last year, it's a, it's a big drop off. Um, what what overall do you think has changed so much with the spacing in general and 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 just shot variance uh, as a whole? Well, I mean, you, you have to think back to their most successful lineup for most of the regular season last year, constituted having Myers Leonard as a starter too. Yep. So I, I mean, that's that's a big factor. I mean, a guy who's shooting, I want to say, well over forty percent for most of the season on limited attempts, and it's not like he was closing out games he played mostly the, the start of the first and third quarters and that was pretty much it but he was a, a big safety valve there you know, somebody who could shoot as a seven footer and space the floor as much as he did opening things up for everybody else and yeah certainly I think the biggest part of that aside from Myers absence is, is Duncan and not necessarily regressing but just it's we keep having the same conversation. I know I've had it a number of times with Duncan. It's like the expectations were so high because he had such a historically good season, but that's probably impossible to duplicate. And so, yeah, yeah he's going to taper off. He's still, like you said, shooting extremely well. It just hasn't been enough to kind of sustain. And nobody else in that starting lineup has been able to space the floor. Like you've got you know, Jimmy, who's not a three-point shooter. you got Bam, who's not a three-point shooter. If Duncan is, quote-unquote, struggling, that's a problem, too. Uh, you know, Olenek's shot has been inconsistent. Kendrick Dunn has been in and out of that starting line. Goron was starting for a lot. Tyler has been starting a lot, and all of them have been inconsistent as shooters. So you're basically fronting Duncan Robinson and, you know, four non-shooters. Uh, so that's not a great recipe for three-point shooting or offense in general, and I think that's a big part of the problem. And you know, you're getting occasional bursts off the bench, like Andre Guadalla's corner shooting has been a big plus over the last mm -hmm. few games. You know, I, I'm just, I, I don't know if the book is out. Like maybe we're, it's, you know, last season was so weird for Miami specifically because you had almost two very different teams. You had pre-bubble and, and in the bubble itself. And in the pre-bubble team with Myers Leonard, was good and then they started tapering off in february and march right before the hiatus in the season and then once they once they put jay crowder into the starting lineup in the bubble that was just an incendiary level of quality for that team they were just so good as shooters they were spacing the floor playing great defense all around and that's why they were able to make that deep finals run but i just if you're comparing this year's team to last year's it's, it's kind of hard to do because again there were these two different versions with two varying different starting lineups and I'm just not sure if if you can recreate what you did last year. That lightning in a bottle circumstance of the Orlando bubble is probably not something that Miami can duplicate this year. And so you're just kind of filling in pieces. And it certainly doesn't help when your best player missed three weeks because of health and safety protocols. Like it's just it sucks to kind of keep coming back to that. But it's such a huge factor because Jimmy does change so much of the complexity of the game, both on offense and defense. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. You know, I think it's uh, it's what made it, it it's made it really difficult to analyze this season, um, and also makes you a little bit frustrated with the uh, with the league itself for how things have been handled a little bit. But like, you look at the the Raptors. Like, I was watching uh, I was watching the Raptors play the other day, and I was just like, I mean, the, and this was before they had all their guys back, so they're starting like half their bench is starting, right. and uh, it's 
it's just interesting too. like you look at that and you're like, okay, well, I, I get that we want to have the game happen. But at the same time, does it really make sense for this team to have to be playing guys? Like they call up three guys from the G league, like Henry Allenson plays 20 minutes um, after starting in the G league for most of um, the, the season there. And it's just interesting looking at that stuff like the Rockets too. They've, they've, they just ended a, a 17 game losing streak. I think, I don't remember what the score was last night. This one might be 18 game now, but um, so a lot of people just point out, oh, well, the, the Rockets suck. And you know what, to an extent, yeah, they do kind of suck right now. Part of that is because they're playing eight guys a night. Like they have the bare minimum for players to play. Yeah. Um, so like that kind of stuff really factors in and that, that really bit the heat in the ass early on. And it's just wild to even think about with Toronto, like all the stuff that's come out about um, trading Kyle Lowry. Um I know he was publicly uh, saying that he's not has no interest in, in being traded. Um, but so, has he? I didn't, I, I made not that he, not, he more like, okay. I, I didn't mean to, I should have phrased that a little bit differently. More, um, to, to all the rumors that were coming out, he was like, you know, I've I haven't said anything about wanting to be traded. I, that's just people talking, uh, okay. And but overall, like, I mean, for the most part the reason rumors are there for not that they're all like completely true, but you know, if there's smoke, there's, there's a little bit of fire. Um, but it's just interesting because they went from a team that I think they were 15 and seven from February into the all-star break. And then they've dropped five straight and uh, they're pretty much on the outside looking in. It's just, it's crazy to think about how this season might alter the course of uh, I don't want to like sound all dramatic, but like it could alter the course of that franchise a little bit. Um, and the way that the, it, it, the way that it impacts them looking at the trade deadline, like they could have been a team that were buyers. Um, oh, if yeah. it was a regular I mean, season. And I don't now think you're, you're overstating it at all, to be honest with you. Like, like so much of this hinges from like almost a day to day basis. So you're, you're spot on as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's just wild to look at, but um, I mean, that flows into looking at, at the heat. I mean, they just made a move yesterday for Trevor Ariza, which I was actually pretty intrigued with, especially considering that you're able to dump Myers um, that, in the wake of everything, probably uh, great for Miami in the grand scheme of things. Um, but, I mean, Trevor hasn't played at all this year. Uh, he was actually decent in Portland last year after being god-awful in Sacramento. Um, what are your expectations for him coming in? Because I think he, he adds somebody else who's got length. He's not the same uh, kind of mobile athlete that he used to be. I mean, I think he's 35, 36 now, right around there. Um, but he, he just adds another guy who is, is capable of being out there and, and giving another look. I think it's going to be similar to what we saw last season in Miami with Andre Iguodala and or Crowder. Like he's a guy who immediately will come off the bench, but I would not be surprised that within a few weeks he's there, not necessarily in crunch time situations or at least in defensive possessions, maybe at the end of games, he'll certainly be out there because like you pointed out, he's got that length. If he's, able to rotate and move as quickly as we anticipate. Now we're already hearing that the heat had scouted him and they've seen what he's capable of. And they think he's in phenomenal shape, maybe not quote unquote NBA shape, but that he's certainly capable uh, of, you know, presenting something out there and, and being a force defensively. And if that's the case, then he'll be a factor. They'll slowly integrate him into that lineup and, you know, he'll space the floor to some degree. I, I think 
you know, I, I talked to somebody who covers the Blazers and, and he made a lot of the same points that, you know, in Sacramento, that was a bad team with low expectations. He certainly didn't want to perform there. And then in Portland, he gets to a playoff contending team and he realizes he needs to have a bigger role and he steps up. He played great defense despite, you know, their defense in general being pretty bad. He shot the ball well, 40% on about four attempts per game. And he was more of the three and D type player that you expect a reason to be at this stage in his career. And if he can slide into Miami and fill something similar, he's not going to duplicate what Crowder did, but it's going to be around the same lines, right? He's a bigger body. He can go guard three through fives. You know, I wouldn't want him on an Island against a quicker ball handler at this stage in his career anyway, but at least he's a body out there. He's not going to get blown past too quickly. Uh, I think he's going to contribute. I like it a lot, to be honest with you. He's a veteran. He's originally from Miami, he was born here. So I think that's a big factor too. He's been training here. There's a, a skills trainer called Stanley Remy who uh, has a facility out here. He works out a lot of these guys that are on the fringes of the NBA. Greg Monroe has been working out there. John Wall was working out there last season too. So a lot of NBA guys who want to just stay in shape, work out with Remy and Ariza was there and he's been there for months. So he's already entered health and safety protocols in, in anticipation of the trade. And so it was kind of in the works for a while. And the expectation is that he'll be playing against the Pacers probably on Sunday would be my guess. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, no, it would be cool to see him out there. I've always enjoyed watching him. Minus when he, uh, like, body slammed Trey Young last year. That was kind of annoying. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but he got nutmegged and just laid out Trey Young and said that, you know, that was a disrespectful move. I'm like, dude, well, maybe just don't get beat. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah, no, and I mean, that, again, leads right into what I want to talk about. Uh, Casey Paul has been somebody who I really enjoy watching. Uh, I asked you about him at the beginning of the year um, because he was somebody who I I, had, I didn't know a ton about. I, I'd liked him at Stanford. Um, just a guy who seems like he would really fit in with the Heat as uh, a long athlete. And especially over the last couple of weeks, uh, he's really gotten some good burn. And with Trevor Reza coming in, I, I mean, I would expect his minutes are going to go down for sure because he's not – even close to being a, a finished product on the offensive end. And defensively, he isn't either, but he's looked – I mean, he's showing some fantastic flashes there. Um, what have you liked about him, and, and what do you think uh, – Like, I mean, has your opinion changed since we talked at the beginning of the year? I'm, 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 no. I'm assuming it has. No, I don't like anything about him. So. <laughs> oh, man. He's, he's just filling up a roster spot yeah. there. Uh, he's one shade above Udonis Haslam at age 41. Oh, uh, no. man. <laughs> Oof. Oof. That is rough. Yeah, no, no, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, look, you know, the Apollo situation, as you well know, is always very weird in Miami because there's just a lot of hope being pinned on this guy who hasn't really had it out on the floor yet. And, and we keep hearing talk from Eric Spolster that he's just not doing enough in the practice sessions, that he, he's not showing uh, his ability to grasp what's required of him, either offensively or defensively. Like There was one, even as good as KZ's been recently, there was one play there where he was just, I can't remember, call exactly what it was. Uh, he, he screwed up defensively and, and Jimmy berated him like a parent yelling at a child out on the, on the floor there. And then a lot of that is just Jimmy being Jimmy, but like, I feel, I felt legitimately bad for KZ. Yeah. Like he, he's being yelled at and dressed down in the middle of, you know, at least there were no fans, but that's part of the problem too, because this, the arena is so quiet. So you hear J Jimmy Butler yelling at him, telling him <laughs> to get the, get the F out of the way, you know, something to that effect. It was just, it was not good. Um, overall though, like you said, defensively, there are just these flashes where it's just like he, he, he forces a steal, 
kicks off a, a fast break opportunity there, finishes it in traffic. And there's these things that he does well. He's looked more aggressively too with his three point shooting. Uh, so it's just like all these little things that he can do, but again, just not able to tie them together consistently enough. And so you wonder what the next step for him is. And, and look, Precious Achua's minutes have gone down recently too. And then you go out and acquire a 35 year old that has more chance of making an immediate impact. So to me, it kind of screams of either Okpala or Achua likely being on the trading block. I, if I had to guess, it's probably Achua mm-hmm. more likely than Okpala. I think they have, I think they see more potential in a guy like Okpala just because of what he can do offensively. Achua's effort is great. And I, and I think he's appreciated by the franchise, but I don't, I think his ceiling is lower than what Okpala's is. And so I don't know. I, I mean, with KZ, he's getting more minutes. He's playing well. He's been a factor in recent wins, so that's great. He hasn't been as much of a negative as he was last season in his occasional minutes there. Um, and, I, and I think they're going to continue to call his number. But with the, the Ariza addition there, I just I don't know how that's going to work. To be honest with you, like I'm not. You could try them both out there at the same time if you want a really rotation heavy defense. Um, but it's it's hard to kind of picture exactly how they're going to fit together on the floor because his offense is so inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think um, it just brings up a lot of interesting points. First of all, his weak side rim protection flashes are what are like, that's the mind numbing to me. Like, that's the good stuff. Uh, Because if he can be like, I mean, that's what everybody wants. A stretch four who can protect the rim from the weak side and not get killed on the perimeter. Um, And I think that's the idea. Like, if if he can figure out his offense and just become like a neutral there and he cleans up the defense and gets more reps there, like, fantastic. Um, so I would understand if, if it was who's moved to, um, but it, it just brings up an, an interesting point because if you're a team like the heat or, you know, I've seen this with the Pacers and it's gotten better this year under Nate Bjorkren, um, like Edmund Sumner is actually playing now, which is fantastic, uh, because he's been really good, but it's just tough to, to be contending or to be trying to contend. I, I, I'd imagine, I mean, the heat are definitely contending right now. Um, it's crazy because they were like, I I, th- I mean, they, they're close to it. They were in the 11th seed uh, like two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and now they're the fourth seed, which is just like kind of crazy to look at. That's how the East has been this year. Um, I mean, we can talk about whether or not they're contending in a second, but like I think it just brings up a good question, or at least if you're a team trying to be active in the playoffs, um, it's hard to uh, to both do that and develop guys. And finding ways to do that is is huge and get those guys minutes because – uh, I mean, that's something the Pacers really struggled with. Like when they lost to Boston in the first round uh, two years ago now, Aaron Holiday played like nine minutes in that in that series. And they knew Victor was out. They went out and signed Wesley Matthews. And inst- instead of giving some of the young guys run, like saying to Edmund Sumner and, and Aaron Holiday, okay, you guys are going to play 15 or 20 minutes a game. Just depends. We'll see what happens. Um, and I mean, that's an organizational organizational thing. But regardless, I mean, if you have guys who you're invested in or you can be invested in or you want to know if you're going to be invested in them, you got to play them. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Did, um, did that work out, the Wesley Matthews signing? It did not work out. The games right. were really close, but the offense was abysmal. I think Wesley Matthews averaged like 15 shots a game in the Boston series. Um, I don't have anything against Wesley Matthews. He's like actually one of like the most hated Pacers of the last five years, which is... Uh, is he really? Wow, that's Oh weird. my God, yeah. yes. Oh yeah, people hated him. I'm like... So to me, I was, I mean, who else is supposed to take shots? Like Bojan was really good, but he can't, he can't really dribble. Um, I mean, Tyreek Evans was actually kind of good in that series, even though he had a, just a terrible year. 
Um, it was that was not, that was not a, a great year down the stretch, but um, I mean, speaking of contending for Miami, like, w- what is your view of what they're trying to do this year? Because then that factors in too to whether or not they 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 may be going for some trades. Because I think uh, the trade market has definitely dried up, partially because of the making it a play in tournament. There are less teams that are out of the playoff picture. Right. Um, but what are your what's your view on what Miami's going to try and do uh, before the deadline? I uh, I have no idea. Like, I, I, the Ariza move makes sense. Like, if I would have guessed what Miami was doing a week ago, and that's that's ultimately what it is, because with Miami, you really have no clue. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I remember, I always bring this up as an example, the Goran Dragic trade from 2015. Oh, that was such That a- trade deadline was crazy. Wasn't that, that was. I, I want to say that was the most trades in a single day. If I remember and, correctly. and it felt like they were all within the last hour of the trade yeah. deadline too. Yeah, and I remember so my phone just going off like crazy. That was fun. I, remember I was I was covering the Thunder at that point. They had just acquired Ennis Cantor from Utah too. It was just like this flurry of moves all in the last second there. It was very weird. But uh, the Goron trade too was a, a big one because, you know, he was just coming off that season where he was third all NBA and they had that three guard lineup with Isaiah Thomas and Eric Bledsoe. And so you knew he was frustrated. He was entering into free agency. And then Miami had Dwayne Wade. They had Chris Bosch. They pull off that trade and nobody saw that coming. And we, this is always a feeling with Miami too. Like you never really see these moves being made. They acquired Dwayne Wade from the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple of years ago. Nobody saw that. Even last year when they traded Justice Winslow out of nowhere, that was not, not nobody had reported that prior to it actually happening. I was a little surprised that Kevin O'Connor was able to find out that they were acquiring Trevor Ariza the day before that deal was finalized. So that, that's kudos to him for actually figuring that out because that, that, not even Woj or, or Shams had that on their radar, as far as I know. But, you know, that's those are those fringe moves that it seemed to make sense for Miami because you've got your core there. And they're in this weird situation where you can't trade away your young players necessarily because you have such hope for them. They're their cupboard is not as full as they like to think of it, you know, in terms of overall picks. They don't hoard picks the way certain teams do. They don't even rely all that much on the draft realistically. So they need to hang on to these players that they have high hopes for, including Opala, including Hero. Duncan Robinson's a strange case because you wonder whether or not they've lost faith in him as a player and as a floor spacer because he's entering free agency. And do you want to risk having to pay him 15 to $20 million a year considering – the, re- the, the rest of his game is probably never going to develop uh, at, you know, at the same level as his shootings. I mean, I just, I don't know. That puts Miami in a really tricky situation. And as far as what they're going to look to do, I would say more moves of this type, as far as smaller moves, probably stand pat through the trade deadline and then maybe look to acquire a player like LaMarcus Aldridge if he's bought out or something like that. That's a veteran presence. He can just bring in, shore up your depth, so you're not rela- relying as much on on guys like Achua or Akpala or even Iguodala at this stage in his career. I just As far as a big move, I can't see them swinging for one. Like The only one that makes sense is Victor Oladipo. And, I mean, you all know what the problem is with Oladipo, but as far as that's concerned, like if he's going to become a free agent, why would you even bother trading for him exactly. this year? And you know he's had interest in Miami for years. Why even make the move now just to acquire him for the next 30 games? Now, the counter to that is that there is extreme pressure internally in that front office to make the most of Jimmy's tenure here. Like, they feel very, very guilt-ridden for not maximizing Dwayne's best years from 2008 to 2010 because they put the whole team 
and the whole operation standpoint on pause so they can put together the big three. And sure, that paid off. But then you had four years of you know legitimate success there, and then five or so years where you were kind of middling and not quite in the playoff picture. Dwayne Lee's in 2016. You're sort of rebuilding or retooling, as they like to call it. Jimmy's back now, and he's here for four years. You have to make the most of it. And so I, I if they're going to make a move for Oladipo or any other quote-unquote star-level player, it's only because they feel that pressure so acutely. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point, Like especially with Depot, too. Like, um, he's been a little bit better lately. Like since the all-star break, he's actually been pretty good. Um, I think it's hard because in, in just me analyzing him as a player, I've watched a lot of Houston this year because I like, I mean, I love their role players. Like Jay Sean Tate's one of my favorite guys to watch. He's someone who feels like he should be a Miami heat player, frankly. Um, Ask the Kaius Duncan. He loves it. Oh, I love I was actually, I was talking to Kaius earlier today for another pod and we, we talked about K I badgered him to talk about KZ too. Um, but it's, what do you uh, say about Apollo? Oh, he, he loves KZ. He loves really? KZ. He, yeah, yeah. No, he was like, just play the man, basically. Um, and I feel similarly. You know, not 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 like he has to play twenty five minutes a game, but um, but with Vic, I think so much of what's missing for him is uh, is having a dynamic screener. Like he was really good, not really good, but he was like at a sub all star level, like the best he's looked since he got injured in Indiana to start the year with Sabonis. And I think if he him with with Bam is interesting to me because I think Bam is such a good screener and so good as a like a connective passer that I think he could really help with Victor because Victor's um, his burst and his lift still isn't quite there like his burst is a lot better he still is not great at the rim because he doesn't have the same lift that he used to have um, so he needs that extra runway like any extra step you can get off a screen is huge for him and uh, without Christian, I mean, Christian Woods slips every single screen, so he doesn't really get anything from that anyways when Christian was healthy. Um, but he, he just, I mean, you can tell he doesn't have the comfortability with his handle right now, and his legs just don't seem caught back up to where his, uh, his handle is. And I don't know if they're ever going to be, just given how injuries work. Um, but I think you look at it, and it's like, it's, a, it's an interesting double-edged sword because, um, like, I mean – uh, this is just my read, but it felt like the Heat were – I mean, not just my read. Everybody reported this. Like, the Heat were gearing up to try and make a run at Giannis, and I think every team obviously was doing that that had a solid amount of cap space this summer to sign a max free agent. Um, and now, like, Victor is probably going to be the best free agent this summer um, or off season, whenever the hell it's going to be. Um, and that's really changed up given just how many guys have signed – uh, how many guys are off the table now after looking like this is going to be one of the better free agent classes of a long time. It's really not the same. Uh, so I think like, it's like, like, like you're mentioning with wanting to maximize Jimmy, do you make a small, well, not small, but like, do you trade off um, some kind of assets to bring in Victor now, get him working with the heat and re-sign him in the summer? Or do you wait and, and hope that he just signs with you? And I know Miami has a lot of confidence, or I, I mean, I don't know this, but I'd assume just based on everything that we know that Miami has a lot of confidence that he'll sign there in the summer. But um, it just brings up an interesting point. Like, do you, do you, can you afford to make the waiting game? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's. Uh, no, no, that, that's it. I was going to ask you that question. Cause I'm curious from the outsider's perspective, like to me, I would say, don't make the trade. I, I, like, I don't know what to make of Oladipo. Like you said, like there are moments there in Houston where he looks as good as he ever has. Uh, well, maybe not as ever, but, you know, close to the best version of Victor that you remember. And if that's the case, then yes, you're, you're, you're certainly going to raise the ceiling for your team, depending on what you have to give up in order to acquire him. 
are you still at the same level as a Brooklyn or even a Philadelphia or Milwaukee if Giannis is playing at an MVP level? Probably not. And so you're kind of relying on the things that got you to the finals last year, which are depth, chemistry, outside shooting, overall team defense. And those things are, for the most part, still there with the exception of the shooting. And maybe there's the hope that that comes around if you add the right player. Maybe, you know, get Avery Bradley and he continues to shoot as well as he did in the handful of games that he played. And Tyler kind of figures it out. I think with Tyler, a lot of the problems, too, is we, he's his name has been linked in trade rumors since before the season, like yep. Gian, Giannis, uh, then James Harden, and you know, on and on and on. He's just for a 20 year old kid that's that can't be easy to deal with, especially after the team invested in as much as they did in you last season. And you're thinking of yourself as a, a, a building block for the future, and then all of a sudden you're kind of linked to you you realize that you're expendable very quickly there. So, I don't know, it's 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 tough to it's tough to gauge I, again from my standpoint. I don't think making that move for Victor really helps all that much this season. What do you think? Do you think that Miami could cement themselves as a quote unquote contender this year if they make a move like that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, it's tough. Um, I would probably have to not to cop out. I would want to rewatch the um, heat Brooklyn game. Uh, the most recent one um, just to see my opinion on that. I know I watched it, but it was forever ago. Um, I think, the idea is that Victor gives you another guy who can handle the ball and maybe get his own shot. And I think if, like we saw in Indiana, when it was working for like the first eight or nine games, he was third in usage, and that was right. perfect for him. Like he was not forcing anything. Uh, he was just attacking closeouts. Um, he was creating off the catch, and he was taking catch-and-shoot threes. But then um, after T.J. Warren got injured uh, a second time, uh, after he came back from injury, um, he really took the reins and started trying to do a lot more and it, it, his efficiency started to tank. Um, so I think if you're able to bring Victor in, it has to be under the pretenses of, Hey, you know, you are third on the pecking order and maybe sometimes we're going to have you race higher. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I guess I don't, some people would build that as being selfish. I totally disagree. I think it's just a guy who was, a you know, I mean, it was a, a t- almost a top 10 player in the NBA for a season yeah. And then you you struggle with injury and you you still have uh, dealing with that mentally has got to be so tough. Um, I don't agree with everything with how Victor left Indiana, but at the same time, like people act like he's some 50 year old man who's been around for forever. I mean, he's he's 27, 28. Like, I don't know how to make all the decisions in my life. That's a big decision to make and a lot weighing on you. So I don't know. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I guess it just depends how how uh how Jimmy feels about this year because he is like you mentioned, I mean, it's important with him and the team has a really weird timeline with, uh, I mean, Tyler's what 21. Um, do you trust that Tyler is going to get to that level? Because who, who are you trading to Houston to make the old depot trade happen? Like, I don't think I would want to trade Tyler hero for Victor Oladipo, frankly. Like I, I, I like Victor a lot and I think he's a better player now. Um, and he'll probably be a better player next year too. But at the same time, like, does that, how much does that diminish over time? And does, does Tyler become even better? I mean, Tyler is going to definitely become a better player, but uh, it's an interesting thing to weigh. Um, like how, how much do you think it's important for them to be a contender this season? Like, how would you weigh that? That's a tough question too. Cause then you have all these external factors, even as we're talking about it right now, I recall I had Rob Mahoney of the ringer on mm-hmm. the show last week and we were talking about, and the term that kept coming up is just persevering this season because so much of it changes. Like you mentioned before, so many teams still in the playoff run so hard to kind of gauge what's going to happen during the trade deadline. Cause everybody sees themselves as buyers more than sellers. And so where, who, who's doing the selling at this point. Right. So 
it, it's kind of hard to see where Miami sees themselves. I, I think, I think they view themselves as potential contenders, but it, it's kind of also feels like a bridge year. Like, like you're trying to just figure out last year and their inexplicable run to the finals, I think really changed the timetable a little yeah. bit for them. They weren't expecting to be this good as quickly. They were going to bet on internal development. They were hoping Bam could take that next step. They thought Jimmy would be as great as he was, but it just all worked so perfectly. And then they got this huge boost from playoff level Goran Dragic that was scoring 20-something points per game, as as Pacers fans well know. Like <laughs> yes, he was fantastic, man. Like He's so, he's so good. <laughs> So yeah, but but he hasn't been there this year, and you know, mm-hmm. like he had one good quarter on Friday against the Chicago Bulls, where he scored twenty points in the fourth quarter. But before that, and since then, he's he's gone like seriously like five of like twenty eight or something like that. Like his shot is just not falling. Um, and you wonder at his age, given the injury that he incurred against the Bucks last season, whether or not, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, it was against the Celtics, whether or not he's capable of continuing to play at that level whether or not you you're going to get playoff Goron uh this season again uh and so i don't i don't know i I mean it's really really hard to gauge and i I, again i feel like i'm copping out here but i just don't know what to make of the team i'd say they want to be able to go on a deep playoff run just because of jimmy and jimmy's sake but they might not have it in them um but they could you know this it's so weird like they could turn it up just as easily and if they recreate the bubble situation and somehow they get all these great performances from key players to complement what jimmy does so well that's all it takes you know because jimmy is legitimately a top 10 15 player you know where he can change the outcome of a game single-handedly and so that's he's every bit the superstar And, and so when you have that on your roster a lot of good things can happen. I, I made the same argument and kind of looking at the finals series against the Lakers is that, you know, everybody was talking about Anthony Davis and LeBron James, clearly the top two players in, in the series. And that's fine. Jimmy was a close third, but then you had guys that could always surpass the individual performances of either a LeBron or an Anthony Davis on a nightly basis. And so you, while Miami didn't have the top, the clearly defined top end talent, they had guys that could certainly perform on a night to night basis that, that could outperform those two great players. You know, I'm not sure if I'm making this quite clear, but like Goran could go off for 30. Bam could go off for 30. Are they going to do it for a seven game series? No, not completely, but they could have one game like that. And that gives them a punching chance against any team. Yeah, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. And I mean, I, I know you weren't covering the heat at that time, but you look at what happened to the Heatles in the first year when they played Dallas. Like, I think people forget how good that Dallas team was like, you you don't I mean obviously Dirk was a fantastic player at that time it's the wow. same thing with I Jimmy. can't believe you're bringing this up against I, I, I know I have to I mean it's just it's one of the wow. best ones to make like people wow. make it sound like it was just Dirk versus the world and and really I mean they had almost two starting lineups on that team like you have God. Jason Terry was freaking amazing oh. uh, Karan Butler didn't even play oh, like, Karan Butler was now coaching I don't want to hear this I, I, like still wake up in a cold sweat thinking about Brian Cardinal the, the garbage <laughs> Oh man, Brian Cardinal could not even play in the NBA today. That's crazy to even think about him. Um, well, he had an outside shot, right? Like, I'm he had kidding. an outside shot, but he was like about as mobile as my 96 year old grandmother. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, no, like it, you bring up great points. Like, it, they don't have quite the top end talent. Like, Bam's obviously awesome, he's still growing there, and, and Jimmy is really damn good. But then, like, maybe that puts even more pressure on because Jimmy's 31 this year. I mean, right. Right. uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I would be like 60-40 in saying that that you should make the old Depot trade because what else are you doing 
And it's better to do something and then react from that than to just wait around and uh, have things go awry. Um, maybe that's the, the wrong way of looking at things and part of the reason why I'm not in the front office right now. But uh, I think that's just how I view it. Yeah, no, I mean, you've got two and a half years basically to make good on his contract to, to help him reach his guarantee of a championship here. You, you promised that you would put this team into title contention for as often as you could. He guaranteed bringing a title to Miami. You can only do so much to make that a reality. And so you can't afford to really waste more time, even if this season should have a huge asterisk next to it because, you know, again, COVID and, and all the health and safety protocols and rosters that are, you know, like the Raptors that are just disheveled from one day to the next, like you have to still put all your eggs into this basket as badly formed as it is to see if you could probably bring a title or at least put yourself in a position to win a title. So, I mean, even as we're arguing here, I, I see your point completely. Like maybe just go for it and let the chips fall where they may. You worry about rebuilding two years later down the road, you know, and, and hope that Oladipo will be the best version of himself once you acquire him. And and that's, that is the view from Miami too. Like they, they can take a chance on anybody. They did it with Iguodala last year. They're doing it with Ariza this year. They're so confident in their internal development and the fact that they can get a player to reach levels of fitness that maybe they hadn't at any other point in their career that they'll be able to get them to play the best basketball that they ever have. And I feel that they would probably share that view when it comes to a guy like Oladipo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Um, well, I know I've kept you for a while, but I will ask you one more question. Um, what, what, what thoughts or, or questions, if any, do you have about the Pacers right now and, and kind of how they're playing, what they're shaping up like? That's a tough one because uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't know what to make of this team. Obviously that, that makes two of us. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's very weird. They, they've what they've won like one of their last seven games. Is that right? So, uh, it's right around there. So it's, uh, it's not been pretty. They were uh, one or two out of the all-star break and then they lost last night um, in a pretty disheartening fourth quarter. I think Tony actually put this uh, Tony East put this out the other day i think they're negative 52 in fourth quarter since the all-star break um not great so even in the game that they won against phoenix i mean they let up a pretty significant lead down the stretch um it's uh they're so disjointed right now yeah uh especially offensively the bench just hasn't looked great um I i'm not sure where they're at this year and it, it, somebody asked me today too you know, what I think about uh, about if TJ Warren's going to be back. And it brings up a great point because even though we're halfway through the season, um, there really is only about another month, month and two weeks of basketball. I don't know why I didn't just say month and a half, but there's really only a month and a half left of basketball before we're in the playoffs. And TJ Warren's still in a boot. Like, he is not practicing. Um, so, like, if, if you get to April and TJ Warren is still in a boot or he hasn't practiced yet, like, and this team is like, like they play Miami three times this month and Miami is damn good. Now um, they play Milwaukee still. They, I, I don't think they have another West coast road trip until April, but regardless, I mean, they play one team below 500 the rest of the way out in, in, in March. Um, and they could very feasibly be six or seven games below 500. Um, so like, what do you do with bringing TJ back? Because I know the front office wants to see this group play together because, I mean, they want to make a decision on what they're going to do with Turbonus. I know that they're not going to say it, but um, they do need to make a decision on what they're going to do with Miles and, and, and Domas. And I, I guess by their approximation, they, they're not going to know what the, what they, how they view them until they see them play together in the playoffs. I'm kind of of the mindset that I think they should move one of them um, 
mm. as sooner rather than later and then just go from there because I think the like I just think the longer you wait around to see what happens the longer you're um, creating opportunities for things to go wrong um, yeah. I'd rather try something new than just keep hitting at the same thing but um, well it kind of like in the same context of what we were talking about Miami like what's the view of this season you're bringing a first year coach you, you know TJ Warren's missing a significant amount of time you're kind of questioning the situation there between the two bigs you know it's do you punt the season and just kind of just see how it shapes up and hope for the best or do you just break things up for the sake of breaking things up which is kind of what you're talking about right like yeah i, I mean i don't know like to me it kind of says you, you try to acquire as much talent as you possibly can like that's the whole goal whether or not it always fits best together and whether or not bjorkren is the kind of guy who can put it all together out on the floor and, and make them into a cohesive unit that's another bigger question too so i mean you're kind of evaluating everything at the same time you're you're consistently losing games now and you still have a lot of talent on this roster. How's Karras been? I, I haven't really watched him play since his return. Karras is actually looks pretty good offensively. He had probably his best offensive game yesterday um, against the Nets. Um, he does a lot, like in terms of a pull-up shooter, like I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but he's a much better pull-up shooter than he is as a catch-and-shoot guy, which is always yeah, I do not like his game, to be honest with you. I, I like his, see, I like his game a lot, but I think it's hard to fit his game in around other players, uh, which is what makes it difficult and, and why I get people not liking his game. Um, I think he's going to ultimately be the guy who is probably the lead ball handler. Not that he's the best playmaker. Like he is a good playmaker. Um, but I just think Malcolm is so good as a catch and shoot player. And he's a little bit better at being a secondary or off ball player. Um, I think Car I'd like to see him get to the rim more. He's been like solid at getting to the rim, but I know throughout his career, he's never been a big foul drawer. Um, he has, a, he's, he's got a propensity for pulling up. Um, I don't like his defense right now. Part of that is hard because this is a very aggressive brand of defense. Mm -hmm. um, but his off-ball defense, his off-ball awareness overall just has, has, has been a pretty sizable negative. Yeah. Um, again, it's tough to go from doing a switch-everything scheme with, with Brooklyn to, um, you know, doing a lot of aggressive trapping and, and running junk defense um, with the Pacers. It's only been three games, so I'm not trying to be too too critical. But, um, I mean, he's he's already – showing a lot more as a pull-up shooter and, and shooting from behind screens than, than anybody's been able to do. I mean, Malcolm had a good stretch at the beginning, but um, I mean, teams started going under screens and it really threw off the Pacers offense and he, he stopped shooting as well from there. Um, I how like does what, he fit. How does he fit alongside Warren when they come back too? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting part. Like I'm, I'm really interested to see how that hierarchy shifts um, because I think he can obviously do a lot more as a passer and, and ball handler than TJ can. But, um, like, both of – like, I mean, TJ is a really good play finisher, so I think the idea is uh, you start things with Sabonis, you get the ball to, to Karras off of an action, and then you try and flow something into TJ. But it's going to be a lot of trying to figure out bench lineups. Um, like, yesterday they ran a bench lineup that was TJ McConnell with Karras, and like they did it – I think that was the second game that they've done it, and it's a small sample size, but I think in, like, 30 or 40 possessions, they're, like, a negative 20 – um, because Karras is like standing as a spot up shooter because I mean, otherwise TJ McConnell's spotting up and he can't even shoot threes really. So you can at least hope that Karras will have some gravity, but um, just testing the lineups and finding that is going to be important. And I, I think that's what it comes down to with TJ. Like if he, like this team is going to start trying to figure out how to play with Karras and, and get a better grasp of his game. But then you have like, if TJ comes in with three weeks left in the season you have to reconfigure so much already. And I think it's not like he'd be a negative, but it just, you know, I mean, 
adding an entirely new player in and, and shifting 32 to 35 minutes of, of play in a rotation can have a huge impact. Um, so while the team is pro I'd be surprised if the team is ever out of the play in, like, I mean, they could be at the end of March, but they have a pretty weak April schedule and, and March isn't really too, I mean, May isn't too difficult for them either. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately it's like, yeah, I mean, do you, do you, do you bring back TJ or do you not that they'd rush him back? I don't, I don't think there's any idea that that would happen, but um, it just brings up a lot of questions. Like how, how do you view this season? And I think to yeah. me, like just to fully answer your question, I wish this, they, the team started off eight and four, got a little bit of national buzz and they were looking really good. Victor was playing well and then he got traded and that changed everything. And right. understandably, I wish the team hadn't started eight and four because I think, um, the team would have been viewed in a more positive light in some ways, because I right. think right now they're viewed so negatively because everyone was excited about the beginning of the year, which I get from, from right. fan perspectives. But at the same time, like, I mean, people are calling for Nate Bjorken to get fired and saying that he sucks and like this and that. And I, I get that it's been a rough stretch of basketball, but I mean, the whole reason for moving on from Nate McMillan was to have like, I mean, Nate McMillan was the, the definition of consistency. And I always appreciated that because I like consistency in my life. Um, like he had this team prepared to play every game, like it was a playoff game. And that was great. And it did a lot in terms of building them up as a regular season team. And of course, you know, we know it didn't work in the playoffs. I don't think it's all on him. Part of it's just, I mean, the roster gets exposed in the playoffs because they don't have a primary initiator really. Um, but you look at this year and it's like, okay, they are, it's process over results for me. Like they are doing new things. They are trying all of the things that we wanted Nate McMillan to try. So I don't think that we can beat up on Nate Bjorken for that 35 games into his tenure. Um, yeah. Like there are some things that I wish that they would do differently, like pressuring DeAndre Jordan and face guarding DeAndre Jordan on an inbounds play is just like wild to me. I have no idea why you do that. It ended up in an open dunk for him. Like, um, like I have no idea why that's part of the scheme because that's something that's been going on. Like they, they do a lot of things defensively that could be toned down a little bit, but overall, like, I mean, They've made improvements. They're doing things that are better, but it's just the roster has been not great because you're missing two of your best players for most of the year. And now Karis is back and you hope that um, they can integrate and figure that out. But they have, uh, they have a lot of questions to look at for what they're going to do in yeah, the off season and I, at the trade. Even, even as you're talking about it, it just, I get more and more of the sense that they're probably at least from the front office perspective, punting on the season. Like it's just more about a rebuilding year or retooling, you know, mm-hmm. to borrow, Miami's language there you know they're you take away that eight and four stretch prior to Victor's trade and and since then they're nine and 18 right yeah so it's they're clearly a rebuilding team even though they don't know it just that that 12 game stretch really put them out of that kind of whole conversation but they're not a great team but they're still they're still doing things they're figuring out their roster trying to incorporate guys trying to see what Bjorkren does well and what he doesn't how he can shape this team so I mean you take away all those expectations out of the picture and you could probably be pretty positive about the the future of this group. It's just, you know, another year of kind of just waiting for it to happen and whether or not this duo works or that player can fit together with that other player and whether or not you can package anything together for the acquisition of another superstar there. Cause it seems like you're still probably lacking that superstar level talent anyway. I mean, as yep. good as Sabonis is as capable a score as Levert might be, you just don't have that guy that you feel comfortable going to in clutch time situations. Yeah, definitely. And I think they view it as like trying to be a winning by committee is not something I like saying it has a negative connotation, but like, I mean, they're, they're never going to have 
a, a superstar player, really. Um, I mean, I think the the one good thing that will really come out of this year, in my opinion, and part of the reason why I kind of hope that they don't end up um, they don't end up in the playoff race, or, or I mean, they'll be in the playoff race. But I, I I wouldn't say that I hope they aren't, but I think it might be better for them to finish in the play in and get a lottery pick because this team hasn't drafted in the lottery since Paul George. Um, it has been a long time, and obviously they hit that pick. They've for we just don't get to see them draft in a good position. And this is a deep draft. It's a good draft. You could get a player who is a bigger uh, wing who maybe makes more sense for the roster. And I think just like ha- as a team that has like a that's pretty well established with a lot of guys who are on um, multi year deals that are starting into their prime. Um, if you could get a, a young guy who can be on a rookie skill deal for three or four years, and then you can extend him to be with this team, like that, that, that has a huge portion of this and they have their own first round pick this year. So part of me is like very hopeful that that happens because I think in the long run, it would be better. Yeah. Okay. But um, I don't know. It's a, it's a lot. We'll, we'll figure it out. David, I, I really appreciate your time and I always enjoy getting to talk. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug or anything you want to say before you get out of here? No, not really. Just say, follow me on Twitter if you want to at DRamil13. I'm not active as much as I'd like to be. Unfortunately, a, a toddler does not give me the opportunity to tweet as much as I'd like or mm. even to watch as much basketball as I want to. So, but uh, yeah, if they want to follow me there, you can always follow the Lockdown Heat podcast if you're interested in Jimmy Butler making a, a push for Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, and possibly even the NBA Finals. Yeah, definitely. To everyone listening, of course, go follow David and, and everything he does, especially go listen. I, I enjoy listening to Locked on Heat a ton. I get a lot from you. So everyone, of course, go do that. And most importantly, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.